0: Section four of Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Copiousness of Mr. Belloc. Mr. Belloc has, during the last four or five years, become a public man. Before that, he had been acknowledged a man of genius but even the fact that he had sat in the house of commons never led any great section of englishmen to regard him as a figure or an institution he was generally looked on as one who made his bed aggressively among heretics as a kind of rabelayan dissenter as a settled interrupter half rude and half jesting and yet there was always in him something of the pedagogue who has been revealed so famously in these last months. Not only had he a passion for facts and for stringing facts upon theories, he had also a high-headed and dogmatic and assured way of imparting his facts and theories to the human race as it sat or in so far as it could be persuaded to sit on its little forms. It is his schoolmasterishness which chiefly distinguishes the genius of Mr. Belloc from the genius of his great and uproarious comrade mr chesterton mr belloc is not a humorist to anything like the same degree as mr chesterton if mr chesterton were a schoolmaster he would give all the triangles noses and eyes and he would turn the latin verbs into nonsense rhymes humor is his breath and being he cannot speak of the kingdom of heaven or of robert browning without it any more than of asparagus he is a laughing theologian a laughing politician a laughing critic a laughing philosopher he retains a fantastic cheerfulness even amid the blind furies and how blindly furious he can sometimes be of controversy with mr belloc on the other hand laughter is a separate and relinquishable gift he can at will lay aside the mirth of one who has broken bounds for the solemnity of the man in authority. He can be scapegrace prince and sober king by turns, and in such a way that the two personalities seem scarcely to be related to each other. Compared with Mr. Chesterton he is like a man in a mask, or a series of masks. He reveals more of his intellect to the world than of his heart. He is not one of those authors whom one reads with a sense of personal intimacy. He is too arrogant even in his merriment for that. Perhaps the figure we see reflected most obtrusively in his works is that of a man delighting in immense physical and intellectual energies. It is this that makes him one of the happiest of travelers. On his travels one feels every inch and nook of his being is intent upon the passing earth. The world is to him at once a map, and a history, and a poem, and a church, and an alehouse. The birds in the greenwood, the beer, the sight of an old battle, the meaning of an old road, sacred emblems by the roadside, the comic events of wayfaring—he has an equal appetite for them all. Has he not made a perfect book of these things, with a thousand fancies added in The Four Men? in the four men he has written a travel book which more than any other of his works has something of the passion of a personal confession here the pilgrim becomes nearly genial as he indulges in his humours against the rich and against policemen and in benefit of sussex against kent and the rest of the inhabited world mr chesterton has spoken to mr belloc as one who did and does humanly and heartily love england not as a duty but as a pleasure and almost an indulgence. And the Four Men expresses this love humorously, inconsequentially, and with a grave stepping eloquence. There are few speeches in modern books better than the conversations in The Four Men. Mr. Belloc is not one of those disciples of realism who believe that the art of conversation is dead and that modern people are only capable of addressing each other in one-line sentences. He has the traditional love of the fine speech, such as we find it in the ancient poets and historians and dramatists and satirists. He loves a monologue that passes from mockery to regret, that gathers up by the way anecdote and history and essay and foolery, that is half a narrative of things seen and half an irresponsible imagination. He can describe a runaway horse with the farcical realism of the authors of some experiences of an Irish R.M., can parody a judge, can paint a portrait, and can steep a landscape in vision. Two recent critics have described him as the best English prose writer since Dryden, but that only means that Mr. Bellock's rush of genius has quite naturally swept them off their feet." If Mr. Belloc's love of country is an indulgence, his moods of suspicion and contempt are something of the same kind. He is nothing of a philanthropist in any sense of the word. He has no illusions about the virtue of the human race. He takes pleasure in scorn, and there is a flavor of bitterness in his jests. His fiction largely belongs to the comedy of corruption." he enjoys and so do we the thought of the poet in sussex who has no money except three shillings and a french penny which last some one had given him out of charity taking him for a beggar a little way out of Brightling that very day when he describes the popular rejoicings at the results of mr Clutterbuck's election he comments The populace were wild with joy at their victory, and that portion of them who as bitterly mourned defeat would have been roughly handled had they not numbered quite half this vast assembly of human beings. He is satirist and ironist even more than historian. His ironical essays are the best of their kind that have been written in recent years. Mr. Mandel and Mr. Shanks, in their little study— Hilaire Belloc, the man, and his work, are more successful in their exposition of Mr. Belloc's theory of history and the theory of politics which have risen out of it, or out of which it has risen, than they are in their definition of him as a man of letters. They have written a lively book on him, but they do not sufficiently communicate an impression of the kind of his exuberance, of his thrusting intellectual ardor of his pomp as a narrator, of his blind and doctrinaire injustices, of his jesting like a Roman emperor's, of the strength of his happiness upon a journey, of his buckishness, of the queer lack of surprising phrases in his work, of his measured omniscience, of the immense weight of tradition in the manner of his writing. There are many contemporary writers whose work seems to be a development of journalism mr bellocks is the child of four literatures or maybe half a dozen he often writes carelessly sometimes dully but there is the echo of greatness in his work he is one of the few contemporary men of genius whose books are underestimated rather than overestimated he is an author who has brought back to the world something of the copiousness, fancy, appetite, power, and unreason of the talk that one imagines, was once to be heard in the Mermaid Tavern End of Section four